Good morning. Oh, hey. Hey. Okay, if you've got a Bible, you can turn it to Second uh, Timothy chapter 3, and we're going to read from verse 1 to 9. Um, but as always, the words will be on the screen if you don't have a Bible with you. So I'm going to read this passage, and uh, we are then, and then I'm going to pray for us. And this morning I'm reading um, from the ESV. So if you've got an ESV Bible, it'll probably run the same. If you've got NIV or something different, it'll be a little bit uh, different. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jumbras opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will, never, they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. Father, we come to your word this morning with open hearts. As we sang in that first song, to you our hearts are open and we come knowing we come knowing that you know the secrets of our heart, you know everything. And we, and we also come with an attitude that says our hearts are open. We want to hear you this morning. And so, and so I pray, send your spirit to help us this morning. Lord, I pray as I speak, Lord, you would speak truth, deep truth into our hearts. Refresh us, yeah. renew us, excite us for your great plans and purposes. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So just a reminder, we are working our way through um, some of the big themes of the pastoral letters. Pastoral letters, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy and Titus. These are a few years after Jesus' uh, ministry, his life, death, his resurrection. Communities of Christians have been growing. Paul has been on his missionary journeys, going to different places, um, and particularly church communities in places like modern-day Turkey, where Timothy is, and where Paul is writing to Timothy in Ephesus. And he's writing to encourage Timothy. He's writing to help him to grow and to lead this church in Ephesus. And in this passage that we have read this morning, um, he's focusing on the false teachers. And we've, we've talked about that already over this series. 
people who'd come into the church not teaching true Christianity and certainly not living it. And Paul doesn't hold back, does he? He really doesn't hold back as he uh, speaks about them and as we've seen in this passage. And if I had a main message for this morning, um, it would be this, that there is a power to the Christian life that cannot be denied. There is a power to the Christian life that cannot be denied. Paul wants Timothy to understand something. He says, understand this. In the last days, there will be times of difficulty. There will come times of difficulty. In the last days. Last days we can sometimes think of as, well, that's the end of world history, isn't it? That's like the little bit before the world ends, before Jesus wraps up the world and before he comes again. That's, that's the last days bit. But actually, when the Bible talks about the last days, it means the time after Jesus' life, death, resurrection, ascension into heaven, and up to present. So we are in the last days, as Timothy and Paul are in the last days. We are. We may be a slightly little bit closer, but we're still in the last days as they were. And, and he says, in this time, there will come times of difficulty. I don't know what it says in your Bible. Who's, who's got something different? Does it say something else? Not times of difficulty. Who's got something that says something different? It will be terrible times. Terrible times, John. Okay. <laughs> Anything else? Perilous times. Perilous, can't even say it. Perilous times, Luke. Thanks. <laughs> yes, Luke's reading directly from the Greek. Um, any others? Any other translations? Proper bad. Proper bad. Is that is that the? Oh, you've got the T side translation. Ah, right. Okay. <laughs> There'll be terrible times, dangerous times, hard times. There'll be times of trouble. Some say. Some translations say. It's not saying here, Paul isn't saying, look, just life will always be difficult. But rather what he's saying is difficult times will come and go. It's almost like the illustration of a ship on a journey. Imagine a ship setting out on a long journey to some far off land. And as it goes, do you know, there will be some calm seas there will be some choppy waters sometimes. And do you know what? There will be some storms on the seas. Life's a bit like that, isn't it? Now, there may be some extremes where it's, it, you sent, it kind of feels like just it's always bad, it's always difficult, but more often than not, it seems like times of difficulty come and go. Perhaps you sense that right now. Perhaps it's a time of difficulty at school or at work. Perhaps it's something in life that you're facing right now. Perhaps it's relational. It's not a surprise to God. This is what Jesus says in John 16, verse 33. In this world, you will have trouble. 
but take heart. I have overcome the world. Take heart. He is in charge. Take heart. He is with you in it. Take heart. Often in the difficult times, we are most fruitful. Take heart. In the cross, there is ultimate victory against the world's problems. And uh, he gives one of the reasons for why life is difficult. He gives this, he then kind of gives this list of stuff. And we might think, well, do you know, as I read through that, I can relate to people like that. I know someone like that. Or, hey, you know, I've watched enough reality TV to see that it's people like that that end up on it. Or, or, (laughs) I haven't. Or, I look in the political world and I see people like that. Or, I look out on a Friday or Saturday night in my town. It's them. But actually, do you know, it's a list that speaks to our deep problem as humans. As it was once said, I can't remember (laughs) by who, the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. And it it focuses on a particular word. I don't know if you picked it up as we were reading through there. There was a particular word that kept coming up, that kept being drawn to. Does anyone know? Anyone have a guess? What was that, Mim? Love. Love. Yes. Love. See, The world's problem is that the centre of our love is focused on wrong things. Lovers of ourselves, lovers of money, lovers of not doing good, not loving good, lovers of pleasure. Now, when you hear lovers of pleasure, don't think that means that Christians have to always be dull and never do anything exciting and fun and always be boring and always be joyless. No, it kind of means... Listen, don't fall for the world's trap that says, if it feels good, then do it. If it gives you pleasure, then it must be right and I do it. No, no, don't fall for that. Don't be lovers of pleasure. Okay, here are some quotes from some important thinkers for you about how we often love the wrong things. So, first quote, whoever your heart, sorry, whatever your heart clings to and confides in, that is really your God. Just pop the next one on in your effect so we can see who said that. Martin Luther. Martin Luther, the great reformer from 500 years ago, uh, um, German church leader, um, theologian. Martin Luther said that. See, what, what are you passionate or affectionate for? When times of trouble come, where does your heart cling to? What does it confide in, in times of trouble? That might be telling you what your God is. Okay, next one please, Yefet. Sometimes the smallest things take take up the most room in our heart. Who said that? Bob. (laughs) 
<laughs> Fat honey addict Winnie the Pooh said that. But really, really quite profound. I have a friend. I have more than one friend. I have one friend. He loves cross-country running. He loves it. He loves kind of uh, mountain biking. He loves it. But like Nev, but even more excited about it than Nev. He loves it. He lives for it. Everything is a... And do you know, because of that, because he loves kind of doing this kind of cross-country running in peaks and fells and going for long bike rides, everything in his life is affected by it. Where he lives. The type of car he has so that he can transport stuff around. What he does with his weekends. His diet. His money. His relationships. All of them are affected by his love for cross-country running and uh, endurance cycling. Listen, do you see, I'm not saying hobbies are bad. I'm not saying these things are wrong. I'm I'm just kind of using it as an example. Who we are, the kind of person we're to become, is affected by what we love. We're called to be lovers of God. We're called for him to be the centre of our affections. So I'm not saying those things are bad. Please don't hear what I'm not saying. But anything we love so much that it replaces God as our primary first love becomes a bad thing. And, And do you know it's bigger than just you? There's a wider community impact to it. Paul's message is this, look, when your love is misdirected, it's not only not good for you and me, for the individual, it's not good for the community around you. It's not good for the people around me, for the people around you. So the example here that he uses is is women in the community. They are led astray. They are taken advantage of. See, when you... When your focus is not, when your focus is is your life and all about you, the result is that we find we don't serve other people, but rather we use them, rather we manipulate them, rather, at worst, what seems to be happening here with these women, we, we draw people away from God. So, what's the answer? We can finish early. The answer is, just love God more. Just uh, put him at the centre more. More than yourself, more than possessions, more than pleasure. Easy, right? Just love God more. Well, actually the, the gospel message of Christianity is not simply a message of telling us to love God more. Do you know what it does? It enables us to love God more. It empowers us to love God more. The gospel message is that he helps us to love him more. So Paul uses this really interesting phrase. He says, and we read it, having the, people having the appearance of godliness 
but denying its power. Hmm. And Paul's saying, do you know, Timothy, there's people like this in your church. They'll act like this. As long as they do certain things to keep up the appearance of godliness, they'll think they're fine. But really, it's empty. It's empty gestures. It's not having any power. It is empty religion. In fact, it's worse than just empty. It's, it's, similar to, it's similar to what Jesus said to the Pharisees. This is what Jesus said in Matthew 23. He said, You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. Do you get that picture of uh, a cup? Imagine someone comes around to your house, that you, you've had them around for a meal and they get involved in doing the washing up. And uh, they clean it, you know, they clean the outside. Can you imagine it? They give it to you to dry. And inside you're looking at it thinking, it's filthy, it's dirty. You know, you've just cleaned the outside. Now, most of us who are English just would say, oh, thank you, and just put it aside. And when they've gone home, clean it properly, wouldn't we? And then put it away. But what's it achieving? You've cleaned the outside. The cup is still filthy. Jesus is, Jesus is saying, you, know, you do the things. He said to the Pharisees, you do the things that outwardly look godly, but you don't realise the problem is an inner one. Outwardly, you're doing the right stuff. Inwardly, your affections and desires are still for other things. And they're not changed by your behaviour. They can't be changed by your behaviour. But hey, guess what? This is why... Jesus died. This is why he went to the cross for you and me. This is why he gave up his life for you and me. The penalty for all that inner rubbish, what the Bible calls sin, all that greed and self-indulgence, as Jesus puts it, he took on himself on the cross. He took it on for you and me. So that when we put our trust in him, when we come and say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Lord. I'm putting my trust in you. I'm receiving your forgiveness that you paid for all the things I've done wrong. Just as Nev said, I think it was Nev this morning. We, we come and, you know, maybe you're not even a Christian this morning. And that's how the Christian life starts, by coming to him and saying, I'm sorry. I, I come looking for forgiveness. I come to receive forgiveness from you for all the things I've done wrong. When that happens, do you know what? We're changed from within. It's wonderful. We're changed from within. And we're able to live in a way that we weren't before. He sorts out our inner problem, that problem of sin. Listen, here's a a quote from, uh, not Winnie the Pooh this time, but uh, John Stott. John Stott, one of the great Christian leaders of the 20th century, he said this, he said, He said, this is the solution to our misguided love. This is what guards us against having godliness, the form of godliness with no power. He said, only the gospel promises a new birth or new creation, which involves being turned inside out from self to unself, a real reorientation of mind and conduct, and makes us fundamentally God-centred 
instead of self-centered. See, this shows the great difference between a form of godliness with no power and God's solution. It shows the great difference between religion and grace. Religion says, I do these things. I attend church. I give some money. I go to my community group or my devoted group. I get a big tick from God. And I'll be a better person inside because of it too. Grace says, God's assessment of you is based on Jesus' righteousness. You are loved more than you can imagine. When, when, When Jesus heard the words from the Father at his baptism, this is my son, with whom I'm well pleased. You can know that's true about yourself because of the grace of God. That's true for you and me. Do you know what? This grace, this love enables us to love, and then it enables us to love God. The Bible says we love him because he loved us first. See, grace has substance to it. Grace is powerful. Grace is releasing. Grace says, I start accepted. I start as a new creation. I start turned the right way out. I start in the love of God. And it means that I'm not trying to earn my way into those things. I'm not trying to earn enough credits to get into those things. I know it's true. I know it's grace. I know this is how God sees and accepts me. But do you know what? It can sometimes feel like a bit of a battle to remain there, can't it? Sometimes. Because we want to slip back into religion. We want to slip back into, I can help God out here. I can prove to him I deserve his love. I can do that. That's why we must. Um, that's why we must keep talking about grace, because otherwise we otherwise we just forget. Otherwise we just assume we all know. Well, everyone knows that, don't they? No, no. We must keep talking about grace. So for me, as a teenager, growing up in a Christian family, growing up with Christian parents, growing up. Uh, um, in a church and uh, I'm very grateful to God for all that but actually what can sometimes happen in that setting is that I found that I wanted to live a life for Jesus I did but I would often so, so often try and revert back to doing it in a form of godliness Go with my parents on Sunday mornings to church. Go to the youth group. Be faithful to the youth group. Have a Bible by my bedside. Often it was trying to earn it through an appearance of godliness and not by his undeserved grace. 
hoping that, hoping that that outward stuff, if I, as long as everyone liked me, as long as I was kind to everyone, I would be accepting, I would, God would accept me. I'd be earning his grace, earning his love. As long as I did all the outward stuff right, I'd be fine. And then I remember someone spending time with me, talking to me, over a number of weeks actually, maybe even a number of months, talking through the grace of God and what it meant to know his favour because of Jesus. Because of Jesus. Not because of my good efforts, but because of his faithfulness and because of his work in my life. It's grace. It's undeserved. And what happened is, what happened is, and please don't hear me what I'm not saying, I'm not perfect. What happened is, I felt released because the pressure was not on me and how I could perform and what I could do, but I was released for the attention and focus, first of all, to be on God, but secondly, to be on other people. Secondly, to be on those around me, to care and to love them more. We can, it's grace, it's the grace of God. Do you know, we can so, sometimes, so often, turn it into, it's simply a business transaction. It's simply just a cold, formal thing that God does. We've got this sin, he's got the love of God, well he transfers it to the cross and sometimes, if we're not careful, we can realise how richly relational it is, just as Julie was talking about that table laid out in front of us to feast on. It's wonderfully relational. Grace is wonderfully personal and we're drawn into it. It's not just something we get to know up here, it's something God does in us, something we, we we get to enjoy the benefits of. It's the grace of God. It's interesting. It's interesting what's said about these women who seem to be taken advantage of. Always learning, but never able to come up with a knowledge of the truth. See, that, that's sometimes true for some of us, isn't it? The next thing will transform my life. The next thing I learn. The next conference. The, the next book. The next big church meeting, that'll do it. But never settling truth in our heart. Never realising the transforming power of grace. God's extravagant love for us. And you know, it's something the Holy Spirit does in us. The Bible says, God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who he has given to us. And so as we begin to end this morning, I feel he would want us to again receive fresh grace. Again encounter him by the Spirit as he reminds us of powerful, life-transforming encompassing grace. Let's pray.
Let's come before him together, as we have been all morning. Let's come keeping our eyes on him. Keeping our affections and our gaze on him. Knowing that he is the one who gave himself at the cross for us. And now we we encounter, we, we, we live in, we get to enjoy the benefits of his righteousness, of his goodness given to us. We get to know what it is to be right with God. For it not to be based on whatever good efforts we could muster up, for it not to be based on our failures, but to be based on his righteousness. Thank you. And so that's how we approach you this morning. That's how we come to you this morning. I pray, Holy Spirit, begin to move amongst us. Encourage us afresh. Remind us of the love of Christ Just receive right now as the Spirit moves in us, amongst us. Some of us who sense, will this grace run out? Did I blow it there? And then there's fresh, there's fresh grace. There's fresh forgiveness. There's fresh mercy and kindness as you come before him this morning. It's overflowing. It's like the porridge pot Julie was talking about that never runs out. It flows to you because of Christ. Spirit, keep moving, keep touching, keep speaking. Perhaps you just know I need to receive fresh grace this morning. I need the Spirit to just again refresh me in His unending love. allow him to do that right now allow him to do that right now right where you're at if the band could come up I would like us to sing in a minute but I want us to keep receiving thank you you're, thank you. you don't just change our behaviour 
that you come and transform us from within through powerful grace. Thank you. Your word says that grace doesn't just enable us just to cope, just to scrape through. But it says, so that just as in sin reign, just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through the righteousness to bring eternal life to Jesus Christ, our Lord, that we're enabled to reign in life because of grace. It enables us to reign in those circumstances, in those situations. You may just be aware of times of difficulty, as that scripture points to, that you're facing right now, that your friends are facing right now, Listen, there is grace to sustain you in it so that you might reign in life. And so his grace is coming afresh for that situation, for those circumstances, for that relationship, for that difficulty. We're going to worship again and keep receiving. And uh, as we do it, we're also going to take our collection as well. This is part of everything we do in Jubilee. We we worship and respond to Jesus with all we are, including our possessions. This is a grace thing. We give freely. We give joyfully. We give in grace. Let's, Let's worship and respond to Jesus in song together.